wait, you, you actually feel connected and closer to me when we're like in conflict. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like I, I, you're engaging with me. Like, absolutely. She's like, you are the weirdest person I've (laughs) ever met. of the Working Enneagram podcast, where we talk about the Enneagram in the context of work. I am super excited to introduce our guests today who are both Enneagram type eights. First, we have John Weibel, who is an entrepreneur. Welcome to the show, John. Thank you. Glad to be here. Our second guest is Liz Cooley, who has been working in the home for almost three years now and before was working in public education for 10 years. So thank you for coming, Liz. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. All right, I'm going to jump right in and I want to know, John, at what point in your life did you realize I'm an entrepreneur? And uh, tell me the story that kind of goes with that. Since a young age, I always went out and did things on my own and tried to create things. I mean, (laughs) when I was in high school, I wanted to get free lunches from the school, but we had to bring lunches and I didn't want to wake up early and make it. So I devised a plan to get with the lunch lady and be like, "Okay, look, if I come in and I wash dishes for like five minutes, can I have a free lunch? And she was like. Yes. So for my whole senior year, and not only did I just stop there, then I added up all the times that I would have made a sandwich, took taken a drink, went back to my dad and said, hey, dad, I saved three hundred and forty seven dollars this semester by doing this. So can I get some of that money back? And he laughed at me. That's when I realized, like, you know, I have a mind for going out and creating. things. Yes. All right, Liz, tell me about how you transitioned from doing public education for 10 years. That's a long, you know, career time frame. And then what kind of changed you into working in the home? Okay, so I'll try to say it kind of quickly because I really wish I would have found the Enneagram while I was in public education, because whenever I found out my number, kind of what motivates me, it made so much sense why I had to leave. And that kind of gave me peace of mind that I really did do the right thing for me. So basically I don't have to be in control of me personally, and I can follow strong leadership. I really can. As long as there's a good reason, it makes sense. And we're working together for the greater good, whatever those goals may be, I'll follow all day long. I'll be your hardest worker but I can't follow weak leadership. And so that's where I hit the stop sign, the T on the road. And I had to make a decision because I could no longer follow their views. And that's why I ended up just transitioning from public education world to staying at home. You talked about, I can do strong leadership. I can follow a strong leader. I really have issues with weak leadership. I think that's pretty consistent with eights. And so I want to hear from both of you guys. For the listener who's like, well, okay, but give me an example of what strong leadership looks like or what weak leadership looks like. And I'm thinking for the person who's leading an eight, what are some of those triggers that you would you would categorize as strong leadership just to give them some context? So Liz, if you'll jump in and then John, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. I guess I can only think of being in education. So if the expectation is to have your lesson plans in by Monday, you need to inspect what you expect. Mm -hmm. And I just kind of see no consequences for people that don't have lesson plans Mm -hmm. for like a really long time. And I'll just leave it at that. It's just, it's an unacceptable amount of time. Or if we're refusing to coach up a brand new teacher, like we're just throwing them to the wolves. And I'm like, how are we wanting them to return the next year if we're not 
coaching them, if we're not, you know, observing their classroom and giving them pointers so that they feel wanted and valuable to this campus. Just Mm -hmm. making sure that we're, again, inspecting what we're expecting, very black and white, um, not as I got you, but as much as I want to make you better because I want us to be the best that we can be for these kids that we love Mm -hmm. and want to serve. Yeah. As a one that resonates really, really strongly with me. John, what are your thoughts? Yeah. I mean, our goal being eights is we just want to see growth. We see so much opportunity for somebody to, to become a better version of themselves. And that goes from the macro level, like Mm -hmm. you're saying the school, but all the way down to that individual kid, you're just Mm -hmm. going, we are failing that kid Mm -hmm. by not leading them well. Absolutely. And you know, that I can absolutely, you know, identify with that. I see it across all spectrums from work to church to just in the home, any of that. Like I, I definitely, view the world through those lenses. And I go, you know, there's absolutely a time for mercy. Like mm, I, yes. I love the the golden, okay, here's your chance for mercy. But the, yet again, that's an, another, this is your chance to grow, mm-hmm. not a chance to get away with. Right. You need to understand the mercy and grace you're receiving here so that you can grow out of that. Mm, I love that. And mm-hmm. so that definitely same kind of feeling. Everything absolutely. she was saying, I was like, yep, yep, yep. <laughs> I love that for you. How would you, what would you put in these categories of like, what are some examples um, in your experience of weak leadership and what are some examples of strong leadership? You know, I had friends growing up and things and my dad and mom, they were very involved. Like you said, following leadership, strong leadership. My dad was an incredible leader. He spent the time he, 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 what'd you say? Inspect what you expect. He, he definitely yeah. would follow up with individual kids, with the family. We had family time, which as a kid, I, you know, I hated, we'd be out playing time for family time. And I was like, Oh my gosh. But it was, you know, he'd come <laughs> in and he would just be honestly inspecting what he expected. Every time we leave the house, he'd go, Hey guys, remember who you are, whose you are and who you represent. And again, it's just that call from a leader back to someone who's following them. Hey, I'm calling you to a certain standard and Mm -hmm. I want you to represent that. You know, of course, early on, you know, we had to respond to that. I'm now doing that with with our kids, you know, and they're having to respond to it. You know, remember who you are. You know, I'm a Weibull. Remember whose you are. I'm God. Remember who you represent. Well, I represent my family and my friends and my church and my school. and, And it helps that then when you go out what motivates the decision you make, you know, you remember those little things. And, um, so an example of that, and then I have friends who just had parents that just did not care that I would go to their house and they would just do whatever they wanted. And they would go out and do really stupid things. And I'd be like, no, this doesn't line up with the, who you are, who's you are, and who you represent. This is a bad idea. Right. And they'd go, my parents don't care. And it's mm-hmm. just like, Oh, you know, and that, that's what I guess what a great example for my yeah. life. I'm just going, like, yeah, there's a huge dichotomy there. And I go, I'm, I'm in for that one. Yeah, over here. absolutely. What do you like most about being an entrepreneur? I, I like the freedom. I like being able to, you know, quote unquote, be my own boss. That's definitely the, the best thing, having uh, the ability to do whatever I need to do and not have these constraints of whatever around me that I'm, I'm able to go out and, and do and, and make and create. So that's absolutely the best. Yeah. I want to kind of jump on that because it, it literally gives us, we're self-motivated people. Mm-hmm. So it does give us the freedom to get whatever we need to get done in our own timeline and probably in a healthier way without having to like snowplow people over mm-hmm. because we can fit whatever needs to get done at whatever time of day. So that's probably one of the 
best things. In the freedom with your schedule, do either of y'all struggle with burnout or overcommitment? I can tend to overcommit because I can do everything. <laughs> That's it. Period. Full stop. Yeah. <laughs> I would say yes. I mean, it, it, it not, not necessarily work, but um, just the combo of work, life, yes. church, serving, mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. When you hit those moments where you're like, OK, I need to step back or I need to take something off my plate. If you go to a buffet and you fill stuff on your plate and you want chicken, but you have steak, you got to take the steak off to put the chicken on. So do you all have a hard time discerning what needs to come off the plate I assume you would just know being as like keen and intelligent, but I don't want to make any assumptions here. So just curious to know. We, and I'm not going to speak for you, but I'm assuming we, a lot of times we just think we can, Mm -hmm. we can do, like we can take it on, we can lift whatever it is. It's not too big for us. And having for me, a spouse that came alongside me and goes, Hey, like, I think that, I think that's too much. You know, Mm -hmm. she was definitely the one that kind of helped me step through that and go, I think, you know, as you take on these different serving roles and different things you're doing there at church and different things, you know, like you need to understand you're getting overwhelmed, Mm -hmm. you know, and you need to, I think you need to step back. And she was loving in the way she approached me. And and I guess that's a part of an aid is when you get that, that core of people you trust, Mm -hmm. their words just carry so much weight. And, and I've, given her, I guess, the freedom to come into that space and go, Hey, look, whatever it is. And I invite her in and say, Hey, help me. Cause I need it. You know? Yeah. So I think the hard part about the plate is that we know everything on there is really, really important. And a younger Liz would have maybe potentially felt as a failure. Like, why can't I do it all? But then as I've gotten older, I feel like I can analyze very quickly. Like somebody else can really still do a really good job at that. Mm-hmm. I, I can easily pick what, what is time for me to let go because maybe I've seen people around me that I can hand that off to with mm-hmm. confidence. And I feel like just realizing I'm really not God's gift to every situation, <laughs> even if I can work through it a lot quicker than I think some other may. Right. Um, but I also, I don't know if that could be an eight thing or that could just be, I work really, really fast. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. I would echo that. It's an opportunity for someone else who's God gifted very well to mm-hmm. go out and, and experience what I've been experiencing. So I think that mentality in general, not just freights, but people in general to be able to say like, you're, you're not the glue that you think you are sometimes. And there's humility that comes with that because mm-hmm. you're like, oh, I'm not as important as I thought I was. Mm-hmm. But there's also like freedom that comes with that. And there's almost a burden that's lifted to be like, I can make space for somebody else to do something incredible too. And there's room for that. So I love, I love that mindset. Okay, John, tell me how you, how do you know that you're a type eight, like beyond the shadow of a doubt? So I, I didn't Enneagram. I, I wasn't, you know, it's almost like I, I would rebel against that kind of stuff. The ENFJs, although all that stuff, I was like, whatever, you can't put me in a box, you know? Yeah. And, um, for years, you know, the Myers-Briggs, we did all those things. And my wife came home with the Enneagram and she was like, Hey, you know, I'm going to read through this. And she started learning about herself. And she was like, she'd say, Hey, read this. And I'd be like, Oh wow. Yeah. That really defines you. You know, she's a six and it helped her really understand her motivations and the decisions she's making on a day-to-day basis. So she finally was like, you need to do this. And I was like, I don't know, whatever. So I went and took a test, you know, I know that's not the way to do it, but it helps, you know, at least kind of start you on the right path. Cause I came out, um, an eight or a three, it was very close, you know, and, and I just, whatever. And so I went and did it deeper test, you know, like 200 questions or whatever. And got to the point where it's like, okay, it's pretty sure you're pretty sure you're an eight. And, um, 
I didn't even know what an eight was. It was just like, okay, I'm an eight. Great. What does that mean? You know, um, started researching and went home to my wife. I was like, okay, look, let's look at this number. And I mean, her, her eyes just popped wide open. Like, wait, you, you actually feel connected and closer to me when we're like in conflict. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah, like I, I, you're engaging with me. Like, absolutely. And she's like, you are the weirdest person I've (laughs) ever met. Gets closer during conflict. I'm like, yeah, that's me. Anyway, so you're getting was, to some deep stuff. <laughs> yeah. So, but I would say, when did I like? It really hit me, honestly. Like thinking back through my life, there are just so many markers from a young age where I just, honestly, the defense of others is mm. a huge thing I identify with. The injustice, that kind of thing. So I'm not. I'm not. Gonna, I'm going to leave names out, but it's one of the funniest stories that our family tells. Um, when I, when I was 16. There was a family dinner going on. A sibling of mine likes to push some buttons sometimes. And so he would just throw out bombs, you know, like that say something. Well, that night he had just turned 18 and he just threw out a bomb. I'm going to I'm going to go and uh, at the election, I'm going to vote for uh, so and so, you know. And I mean, I was it was obviously like a huge no, no in our house. Like right. you don't even talk about, it, you know, right. And threw that out there. And of course there's just the explosion there's discussion going back and forth. And I'm just watching the fireworks chuckling. <laughs> and then, um, got your popcorn. Yeah. Yes. And my, my sibling, um, you know, says this and, and he goes, you know, you can't come into the voting booth with me, which is very true. Like that's mm-hmm. the foundation of our society mm-hmm. is that no one can walk in that voting booth and put your finger on whatever it is and say, you're voting here. Right. When it was, responded to was like, no, you are going to vote this way. And that I went, oh, wait a second. Mm -hmm. Like, this is wrong, you know, and it hit me. And so anyways, the the conversation definitely ended there. And I waited, I bided my time and we were driving to church the next day and I'm driving, you know, learning a permit or whatever. I probably have my license then, but I'm driving minivan and the person that had gotten in the argument was next to me. And I just, turned to them unannounced and just went, you know, like he can absolutely vote for whoever he wants to. It's a fundamental right. And the response from the person turned and looked at me and said, pull over the car. And I was like, oh, okay. I pulled off on a little side road. They said, get out of the car. And I was like, oh, this is like for real. So I got out of the car and that person walked around, got in the driver's seat, peeled out in a minivan and left me on the side of the road. No, they did not. And I was so excited. I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> I just defended like, this is so great. Okay. So that you would think the story ends there. I'm going to walk home, whatever. I turn around and my best friend is coming up the road, like literally 10 seconds Perfect after they peeled out. So I wave, he pulls over. What are you doing? I get in the car. I'm like, dude, drive as fast as you can and get me to church. <laughs> now and he's like why and i explain it and he's like oh it's on you know like, the smirk on my face when i was waiting at the entrance <laughs> when that person in the minivan pulled up and looked at me was one of the greatest moments of Absolute my life bliss, yeah. i mean it was just like god had my side <laughs> that time <laughs> the statement of eights feeling closer during conflict typically is a shock to most other enneagram types Is it a shock to you 
to see that response when people are like, wait a second, you feel closer during conflict? Does that surprise you that other people don't necessarily feel that same way at all? I guess at first, I just, I understand that not everybody can sit in conflict though. I mean, I saw it growing up in the restaurant business, just like other of my coworkers, like crumbling when like an angry customer would get onto them Mm -hmm. and I would have to come in some way, somehow, or even in education, like teachers actually, like if they had a rowdy parent and and that parent wanted a face-to-face conference, a lot of them asked me and I'm like, but I'm the counselor and I'm not, and they're like, can you please be there? And I'm like, okay, whatever. Cause they will crumble and, and be quiet mm-hmm. in conflict and, and get run over. So I think just kind of seeing that through time, that doesn't really surprise me. Okay. How would you explain the core desire of an eight um, to have autonomy, to be strong, uh, to somebody who hasn't heard of the Enneagram or is maybe listening to this and it's just like, OK, well, I can identify with that. Like, I, I also want to be strong. I like protecting other people. So how would you explain that to to somebody who's like, I've never heard of the Enneagram. I don't know what an eight is. Yeah. I would say for me, it's a little bit different. And I don't know if you know your subtype or whatever, but that's where the subtype came in. Because sometimes, you know, like you said it actually earlier, you're like, I don't have to be in control. Mm -mm. Like, I really don't. And we may be the bad example of eights because there may be eights out there like, no, you have to be. But we will take control. Absolutely. We we will take control if it needs to be. Yes. But I don't mind following someone like like Mm -hmm. Liz said, like if it's if it's good leadership, if things are going well, I'm not Mm going to step in there and try and change things. Mm -hmm. I'm going to help that growth. Yes. Um, You know, so I would say to someone who doesn't know, you know, what an eight is and why we're motivated. For me, it has a lot to do with the justice side of things. Um, I really do fight for people. You know, I I want justice for myself, but on reality, that's where a lot of times I can just take it on and go, you know what, I may receive injustice here, but at least they're not. Yes. And so I'll I'll go out and defend, especially my core, but also beyond the core, I'll try to do things to help. But I mean, it is, you know, just explaining to someone that it, it has a lot to do with justice and just making sure that people are receiving a fair shake. Liz, what would you add to that? I think with the core and and having like the front, I guess, of being like strong, but you even mentioned like not being perceived as weak. And I feel like that's probably where I could hang a lot in. I don't like to be looked at as weak or vulnerable is probably my hardest thing if I know that somebody really knows the Enneagram, I don't want to tell them I'm an eight because I, they will already know more about me than I was willing to share with them in the first place mm-hmm. because I don't like to be vulnerable. But in like that same aspect of injustice, I will defend anybody around me like in two seconds flat. But it's really weird because I because I know what I can take mm-hmm. and I know that I can survive it. I don't really care about people's opinions or people's words are not going to hang over my heart mm-hmm. for as long as it could somebody else around me. So I will try and protect them before I would try and protect me in that mm-hmm. type of a way. Where do you see this core desire to protect others in your your work? Um, so we mentioned my husband being an aide also. So he can tend to be like a little aggressive when it comes to the kids and things like that. Mm-hmm. And I do feel like sometimes I I am the, the barrier, like the shield between him and the kids. And I, honestly, he plays that role too. Like there's days that like, I just 
lose it and he has to protect my kids from me. I am okay going toe to toe with Jamie. I'm not going to let him run me over type of a thing. In education, I mean, I just fought for my kids and and I had to get pretty aggressive with some of my um, supervisors you know, because I felt like maybe they weren't hearing my concern with a particularly tough kiddo. And I'm like, you're not going to push me away until I have the answer that I need to do the best job that I can do for the people that I am defending, protecting or serving Mm -hmm. like the end. Let's talk about the core fear of the eight, which is described as being weak, being vulnerable, being controlled by others. So how is it unique for the Enneagram type eight? And then where would you see that that shows up in a work setting for you guys, John? You know, I think there's a, a lot to say to kind of really nuancing like that feeling some of the moments I think back on my life and I, I, I go, that was just a really hard and dark time was when I was being either used or attacked or helpless. Mm-hmm. Um, one example, we went on a vacation, landed the plane, pulled up my phone, got connected again, got an email from one of our clients that we service in our business. And basically they said, Hey, you know, we're missing some money, you know, what happened? And I start doing some research and then I find out, oh, it's actually something they made a massive mistake on and it deals with the IRS. And the man that is, I put my hands up, I go, that's not us, you know? And so I kind of sent it and said, hey, here's the issue. And about an hour later, we get a formal like email letter that's basically saying, we're going to sue you. You need to be prepared to be sued. And I'm just like, hang on a second. Like we did nothing wrong here. So I start researching. So that's when I go to my five, Mm -hmm. I go in and I just, I shut everybody out and I got researching and I go on vacation, on on vacation, literally, literally on landing the plane, like getting off the plane, trying to get a rental car. My wife's going, what are you doing over there? And I'm like, I need, you need to drive. I'm going to need some time, you know, and I'm shutting down. I'm just, the world is after me and I'm going inside my shell and I'm going to figure this out. And picking the weapons that I need. Yes. For this and I did. I mean, mm-hmm. I found the email that said, Hey, you need to do this. If you don't, you will have trouble with the IRS. And I sent that six months before and mm-hmm. I whoo, sent it off. Here's another one. I checked back on you. I said, Hey, did you get that done? Whoo, sent it off. You know, and I mean, just immediately, but in the end they kept going forward and forward and forward. And so then now, all right, fine. We'll call lawyers. I got to call, you know, and so it just, it was a very dark time where I just went into my shell and was honestly powerless going, this is out of my hands. There's nothing else I can do. Mm-hmm. And these people are saying that they're going to sue us for a significant amount of money. I'm just going, you, you, the injustice is another one. Like I, I was unjustly attacked. I did everything right. right. And so it was a, yeah, it was a not a good time. The vacation sadly was not ruined, but it was definitely not as fun as it should have been. Yes. Yeah. So there are stages when we look back in our life where we can see like, oh, I absolutely thought that was the right thing to do in the moment. And I see now that was an unhealthy way to handle the situation. Here's how I would have liked to have handled it differently, or here's how I've grown. What are some examples for you guys when you can tell you're motivated in your eightness um, in an unhealthy way? And how do you make an intentional correction? Um, you know, I think back to a time, there was a time in our, my business, um, where we were going through some things dealing with just some bigger issues that we had to kind of go through. And it, it was a long process. It wasn't like it was just one moment, but I can remember so many times, um, that, that was business. There's also another 
personal slash church decision that I was making and um, pretty big ones. And it was like uh, going through those anytime I'm talking with my wife and we'd be going through and we'd face the hard things and we'd get into it and we'd be like, okay, what about this and this? And we'd go through all the scenarios at times where I was unhealthy. We have this joke where I'm just like, you know, let's just pick up and move to Wyoming. We're just going to move. I will take you and the kids, maybe a friend or two. And we're going to move to somewhere in Wyoming and, and just be away from it all. That's when I would realize, oh, wait, you're being really unhealthy. Mm. Like you are, you are closing off the world versus in health where I would just look and I would, I would see something and I'd move towards. Yes. Um, I had to have conversations with my wife like, hey, look, I'm I'm in unhealth right now. I need your help. Help me to think through why am I wanting to go to Wyoming? Mm -hmm. Like that's our little keyword of mm -hmm. just like. Mine is Montana. There you go. So is we it could really mm -hmm. we could go like it's on my Zillow. Like if you look at my Zillow, which is actually like my Facebook, I get. I get dinged for Montana. That's incredible. Well, apparently, I mean, we could probably, there's a border. And I'm just, just saying. Go live near there. Y'all could, you could be the people we go hang out with. What else would you add to like the unhealth health stuff, Liz? So I think, like I said, early in our marriage, like our first year, guys, I mean, it was war in our tiny little duplex. And I mean, <laughs> so crazy. So I feel like at that time, anger was just words came out and our fights were, were like still super explosive. I think that now in growth and in knowing the Enneagram and then also kind of getting some of my close people to also take the test and know their numbers. Um, I was in conflict with somebody in my life that I wanted to there's a problem. There's a solution. Right. Like, let's work this out. Find it. Let's go. Except they were, they were five and literally had to give them months and months before we finally were able to discuss it and start restoring that relationship. And I remember getting off that phone call thinking, see, God, if you would just let me handle it five months ago, we would have been done with this. <laughs> And he so gently told me, Liz, you would have ruined the relationship five mm -hmm. months ago if I'd let you do it your way. And I was like, we will discuss this later. <laughs> God. Listen, God. We'll talk later. That was really almighty thing to say. <laughs> so that's definitely just a gift with this and being able to really swallow my pride, my words, my wanting to fix whatever the situation is so that we can get back to normal, but meeting other numbers and giving them their space has been such a huge blessing, but hard. It's not, it's not easy. It was very, very difficult to sit back and give them the time that they needed. I love that perspective at the heart. That's what the Enneagram is for. Understanding that other people are wired differently than the way that we are. Mm -hmm. There's nine normals. So what as an eight, what would you like for the other eight types to know? One of the greatest things that I would say was a growth for me personally um, was genuinely figuring out what meekness and humility truly is just through study and through small groups and through being married to a person for 14 years and just just 
it takes that time to get there. But honestly, humility was the biggest key for me because it just is such a right response because in all honesty, you know, we were joking about talking to God. I'm pretty sure Job was an eight. I'm not not going to say I, you know, I can type somebody, but if you read through Job and you just see what he did and all these things and the injustice and he was angry at God and he looked at God and said, hey, God, like you, you did something wrong here. And he got that meeting. He mm-hmm. got to look at God and, and God came and looked at him. And I love, you know, I, I would identify with Job that I would have done the same thing. Like I'd have been there ready Absolutely. to fight. So I'd have gotten in the boxing room with God. But I sat there and wa- I read through that and I watched Job's response to God when God spoke. And Job's response was, I am insignificant. I lay my hand on my mouth. And that that Job 40, like that that chapter to me has helped me go, okay, I, that's that's the right perspective. Mm-hmm. That I'm insignificant. Um, and again, that points right back to humility, where you you think of yourself less. You don't think less of yourself. Right. You think of yourself less. You know, and that's where I I just would say if you find opportunities in your work, wherever it is, where you can really try and exercise that humility muscle, um, which is difficult. I mean, for me, it was, it was one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. Yeah. So back to that meekness, meaning that power under control, Mm -hmm. it's okay to be powerful and, and live in that. It's just remembering that under control and that we are not here to solve everybody's problems. We do have the ability to step in when people are asking for help. And I feel like, I don't know, I went through like the last few years of education kind of being told to like put the Puerto Rican back in the box, Cooley. And now I'm like, that wasn't the Puerto Rican that I was being told to put back in the box. That was, that was my type mm. that I was being told, like rein it in. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I don't want to rein it in, but how can I guide it mm. into the right directions that it needs to go? How can I guide it that I don't like take that person just completely out of the picture? Right. Right. And, and I know I have the skills to really maneuver those tight spaces if I'm really focused and just keeping it under control. So let it go. I love that. I just, think it's so good because it. one of the, one of the worst things I feel like eights, um, and I don't know, so y'all can correct me here. One of the worst things I feel like eights get told throughout their entire life is like, you're too much. Yes. You need to like rein it in. Yes. And so I'm like, well, what if they're not too much and we just can accept them for how they are now? Are they unhealthy? Maybe we do need to make some adjustments. Absolutely. Sure. But like, are they too? No, I don't think so. So I love that yeah. phrasing there of like, no, I'm going to channel it. Yes. I'm gonna, I have autonomy and I have control over this and I'm going to, I'm going to channel it, which is a discipline in itself. It is. It can be very hard. And it, and it I don't know, one way I, w- I was recently having a friend like figure out her type. She also seems to be an eight. And I was thinking like, think of a carriage ride and you have some big Clydesdales and they are just running. Yeah. Okay. Now imagine that rider just like pulling back as hard as they can. Like their heels are dug in and they're pulling back as hard as they can. In a workspace, I feel like that was me Mm. every second of the day because only so much is acceptable. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so now I'm like, no, I'm going to loosen those reins up and just kind of 
guide it a little bit more to make sure that I'm not running anybody over, but still getting my task done and doing the task at the speed that I need to get it done at. We talked a little bit about this off air, but there's this common term in the Enneagram world where people find out, oh, you're an eight and then you're branded like the eight hole. Which I think is hilarious, but I also like I would be offended. I'm like, wait a second. There's a, a label there that I just I do not love there. I'll put it this way. I'm going to channel my inner eight. There's an injustice that I perceive around eights that I think needs to be corrected. And so, yes, eights are powerful and strong. They're assertive. I like to say assertive more than aggressive because I I feel like aggressive has a negative connotation with a lot of people. Eights don't seem to be bothered by that term, Uh, but I do think they are assertive. They're going to hit the problems head on. This persona or this perception that they're all mean is what bothers me. So I would love for each of you to speak into, give your two cents on that, on being a quote eight hole. What are your thoughts? I have been called a sass hole before, so... (laughs) But that was, in jo- yeah, I was being silly. So um, I would say, you know, I, I can definitely see, especially in the unhealth, and I will talk to all my aides out there, you know, guys, gals, if we're in unhealth, we need to get people around us that are willing to call us out because I'm a, I'm a results driven, like I can see the end result. Yes. And so let's just bring up conflict. If in the end, the conflict, we go through it, and in the end, fracture is the result, well, there was most likely some stuff that I did wrong and some stuff that the other person did wrong. Um, and so that's where I would just look and I would say like, if you continually see fracture at the end of you stepping into things, Mm. you being assertive, you being an eight hole, like that may be the truth that you are genuinely not taking care and, and using what God has gifted you with Mm. in the wrong way. Yeah. Unfortunately, the unhealth gives us that term, I guess. I don't really care, honestly. And if you think that about me, A, you don't know my heart Mm. and B, I'm probably okay with that because you have less of a chance to hurt me. And so that's where like the protecting also comes through in that aspect. Now, knowing that I can tend to maybe give that off. When I started as a a school counselor, I found out like some of my students, they're like, I don't want to go see her doing tutorials. Like I'm scared of her, you know? And so, because I had heard that as a teacher, as a counselor during the passing period, I was in the hallway. I was high-fiving kids. I was smiling and I was making sure that they knew I am approachable and my door is open for you to come into my office for whatever is needed. Is there anything else that has been unsaid um, that you want people to know about a type eight or that you feel like sharing? This is a, an analogy we use for conflict. Um, uh, it's a boxing ring. And oh. so it's so funny that like, of course, that's we love something boxing. I love. Right. Um, but we've the people that are in that inner circle, like I've, I've used this analogy to say, Hey, look, like let's get in this ring. And that the ring is the conflict, whatever it is, we're facing something. We're going to get in there. That's going to be the space where we get in. Our opponent is breaking fracture, not oneness. That's what I, I call when Susie and I are on, you know, we're growing together and our, mm-hmm. our um, connection is, is good. We are now fighting whatever it is. that's that's trying to break that oneness. And, and, Whereas before in my eightness, I, in my eight hole, I would turn and I would start punching her. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I would just start, okay, well here, how about that? Okay. How about this? You know, and it would just be this sparring back and forth and she would 
eventually crumble and I would just keep going until I won. Mm -hmm. And eventually uh, after figuring out that's really unhealthy, Mm -hmm. figured out how like we use this analogy where we get in, we lock arms together and we're facing forward towards whatever the conflict is. And we are fighting for our oneness. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, then she was able to come alongside and go, oh, that's that's true. You're excited because, hey, it's helping. Like I'm actually bringing someone alongside me. We're going at something. Um, we may be having to converse together, but in the end, we're on the same team. Yes. And that helped us significantly be able to to face whatever it is together. And immediately during conflict, if it's ever where we realize, oh, no, we've turned and we started hitting each other. We pause mm. and we say, wow, we did not do that well. What mm-hmm. did we do wrong? And we are able to look back and then again, results, if results is a deeper oneness, yes, I go, we did that right. You know, so I love, that's good. Love, love that metaphor. And I'll say, I wanted to dig in a little bit deeper to what we had talked about earlier in the conversation. And this puts a really good bow on that, that I think some people have a misunderstanding that eights like conflict and what they hear is eights like to fight. And there's a difference, you know, between conflict that's done well and fighting that doesn't accomplish anything. Eights don't like fighting that accomplishes. That's not fun for anybody. That's the worst. That's the worst. The image that you just gave of like, we're going to lock arms and we're going to attack the conflict. That's what eights like. And I think you just, man, chef's kiss. That was so perfect. We like solutions (laughs) and get there quickly. Yes. Yes. Well, thank you so much. Y'all have done such a good job of sharing very intimate and personal and helpful stories. And that can be kind of intimidating and hard for an eight, but I think y'all showed up way big and y'all can't see Liz, but her speaking style captures so much at the heart of the eight. Like she is big, she's bold, she's fun. Um, and I'm so thankful that y'all joined me. Thank you. Well, for I have made a new friend by the What's way. Up, man? So yeah. <laughs> with Enneagram 8's John Weibel and Liz Cooley. Don't tune out just yet because I have a special freebie I'd like to share with you. You may remember from our conversation earlier how John mentioned he had some trouble discerning the type 8 from the type 3. Sometimes we can get stuck wondering if we've typed ourselves correctly. If you find yourself questioning if you are really a type 8, then I have the perfect guide for you. Click the Type 8 Mistype Guide link in the show notes to get instant access to a free guide that will walk you through the differences between the Type 8 and all other Enneagram types. The best part is that you can read this guide in less than five minutes. So if you're on the fence about being a Type 8 and you don't have time to do a bunch of research, then this is the perfect guide for you. If you enjoyed this conversation, would you do me a favor and share with someone who you think would benefit from hearing it too? Maybe you know a type eight who needs to hear how they can control their strength without having to rein it in or run over people in the process. Or maybe you know someone in a relationship with a type eight who could benefit from the insights that John and Liz gave us today. Finally, please consider leaving a review explaining what was most helpful to learn about the type eight. Thanks for your support, and I'll see you next time.